Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. It's 30 games down, eight to go in Ligue 1. With the March international break now upon us, we have one final breather before entering le sprint final in what remains Europe's most competitive and compelling title race, as well as a fierce contest for European qualification and survival. Another highly eventful weekend has taught us many things. Firstly, that if you question Kylian Mbappe in any way on this podcast, he will inevitably silence you the following week. Secondly, that it's never wise to smile at a crocodile, something the Mastiffs of Lille have learned the hard way. Thirdly, that Boubacar Kamara is as important to Marseille as a nice sun hat will be for their new head coach under the sweltering sun of the south of France. And finally, that it is possible to get your free kicks to dip more than the current global economy. Just ask Lorient's Armand Lorienté. Today, we'll be discussing Sunday night's showdown between Lyon and PSG, Lille's shock defeat to Nîmes, and Nice's emphatic victory over Marseille, amongst other things. I'm Jake Smales, and tonight I'm joined as usual by Mohamed Ali. Mo, uh, good evening. A defeat to a side from the south of France fielding a Touram in their starting eleven. Result and performance <laughs> aside, was this a throwback to the early 90s and to brighter days for, for Marseille? Not Maybe not, not quite um, <laughs> in terms of the result, but um, no, I mean, it was definitely an interesting match to watch, um, and I think a fair result which we'll obviously talk about in a bit. We will, we will be talking about that indeed. Um, I'm also joined tonight by Get French Football News Editor-in-Chief Christian Nori. Christian, it's been a while since you were last on the show. Pleasure to have you on. How have you been enjoying this Ligue 1 season? Thanks, Jake. Uh, super exciting season. I think this is the best title race we've had in 10 years, maybe. And, you know, even though Paris Saint-Germain won at the weekend... There's only four points between the top four. So it's uh, really exciting to see how things shake up. Really enjoying it. Yeah, it's still so, so close. And that game on Sunday is where we start. Uh, Leon welcomed PSG to the Groupama Stadium in one of the most highly anticipated matches of the second half of the season. The two sides, level on 60 points and sitting in third and second respectively, knew that thanks to results elsewhere, top spot was up for grabs. PSG had struggled so far this campaign to take points off their title rivals, having secured just one point from a possible 12 against the rest of the top four so far. Lyon, meanwhile, had won the reverse fixture 1-0, but have since had their title credentials questioned somewhat due to slightly patchier form. PSG piled on the pressure in the first half, opening the scoring through Kylian Mbappe after 15 minutes before doubling their lead thanks to Danilo Pereira with Lyon struggling to generate anything in the way of coherent attacking play. In the second half, Le Parisien kept coming, with Angel Di Maria scoring shortly after half-time, his free-kick delivery into the box bouncing straight past Anthony Lopez unaided. History was then made when Mbappe added a fourth, becoming the youngest ever player to reach 100 Ligue 1 goals at 22 years and 91 days old. Substitute Islam Slimani grabbed a goal for Lyon with just under half an hour to play and Legon made it 4-2 with nine minutes left through Maxwell Cornet. However, that was too little too late as proceedings ended 4-2 to PSG. Mo, I'll, I'll come to you first. After some pretty lacklustre Ligue 1 performances, this was one of 
significantly greater quality from uh, Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah, um, and I think um, of significant importance as well. Um, they, as you said, didn't have a very good record against the top four, something that's continued in Pochettino's reign so far. Um, and given sort of the slap that they received last weekend against uh, Nantes at home, I was expecting more of a game uh, this uh, yesterday evening. Um, Lyon, historically, especially out of the top three, top four teams, the one that challenges uh, PSG in at least in sort of fixtures, the league fixtures, if not uh, the title race. Um, and PSG um, really did a number of them at uh, the Groupama Stadium. Again, this is also a, fi- a fixture where PSG tend to struggle since Leon made that move a couple of years ago. Um, and the fact that they went four and luck, I thought was uh, pretty surprising because I think a criticism that we've had and we've certainly discussed in the show um, is that when of, of the key results so far under Pochettino, um, that you can attribute to one or two really start performances, outstanding performances. And I'm talking about um, Mbappe in the Classique, and you had Navas against Barcelona, of course, Mbappe as well at Camp Nou. Um, but here, I practically, I think everyone had a really, really decent game um, for, for large parts. Um, even much maligned players like Danilo uh, Marquinhos, I thought was was immense. You, it really felt like I think everything clicked into place exactly how they wanted it. Um, and not only were PSG good, I thought Leon were pretty pretty poor. I mean, they did have a period uh, in the second half where they did offer some sort of resistance, getting those two goals back. But I think at that point, PSG knew the job was done. You know, substituted Mbappe with his injury scare, um, and I think. You'll probably see me referencing this um, later on, um, and maybe one or two more times. But I've always got the feeling that around about the thirtieth game, as you can really sort of reach that milestone, you've got eight games left in the season, that things start to fall into place for a lot of teams, for better or for worse. Um, and this is the first time that PSG have won against the top uh, four uh, this season in the league. The fact that they came away from home. And eight games from the end is is surprising, but still quite important. Um, they they defeated the rival again for the second time in a week um, after their Coupe de France victory. Um, it's the first time they've been top since the end of January. Um, and now, statistically, over the last six games, form-wise, they are the best team in the league scoring the most goals. So I think it was a very significant victory, a milestone victory, um, and certainly has put them really in prime position for the title where just this time last Monday night we were talking that it will go down to the wire you know you know Leon if they were to get a draw probably would seem favourites because of Paris Saint-Germain the Champions League um, focuses and the fact that they have got a tough draw to contend with as well um, but really I think we saw two different teams two different qualities out there and I think most people, like most people who watched the game yesterday, probably will start to say now it's PSG's title to lose. Wow. Well, I was going to save that question for the end of uh, our discussions on this one. But Christian, I, I will, I'll come to you on, on that. D- do you kind of share Mo's view there that, that this is PSG's title to lose now? They are now top of the league, obviously level on points with Lille, but ahead on goal difference. Uh, I'm maybe not as sure as Mo in terms of calling it. I think uh, what we have seen in the last 18 months is that the Champions League has had a severely negative impact on Paris Saint-Germain's form immediately after those games. There is often a drop-off. We saw it most notably in the 
game the weekend before when Paris Saint-Germain was stunned by Nantes at the Parc des Princes. So I don't know necessarily that we have seen the last swing of the pendulum in terms of momentum, but this was at least the first half last night against Lyon, the best 45 minutes domestically that we've seen from Mauricio Pochettino's side. And it was really interesting. It was a real difference to the way the previous match played out where Lyon beat Paris Saint-Germain at the Parc des Princes. Lucas Paqueta was strangled very early on and previously in, in that fixture where he had dominated proceedings from a sort of deeper midfield position, he was just not able to do so. It's funny, technically, Moise Keane was playing as a nine, but if you look at the average position in which the Paris Saint-Germain 11 was sitting over the course of that match, Keane was kind of playing almost in the 10 position alongside Verratti. Uh, and that was very reminiscent of the pressing that I think those two were able to do when Paris Saint-Germain immediately lost the ball. The first 10 or 15 minutes, I think it was very hectic, very entertaining to watch. And really, there were good chances at either end. But it was the sort of fixture where you see the difference between having a real killer in front of goal like Kylian Mbappé versus a Carl Tocco Akambi or a Tino Cadewere, who just simply don't have the same efficacy in front of goal. No side in Europe's big uh, five leagues this season has actually created more chances across league matches than Lyon. And whilst that number is slowly coming down the last five to six games for reasons that we might also talk about, I think it kind of turned on on that moment. And, and Lyon, I think it could have been a devastating game for their title hopes. And I think if they'd left uh, the pitch losing 4-0, I think it would have been mentally. I don't think it's a particularly mentally strong squad. Um, but actually, were it not for Kayla Navas, we could have been in a, at least a 4-3 situation with 15 minutes left to play. So I think Lyon spirits will remain up. And I don't know that we've seen the last swing yet. And I think, I think you know, Paris Saint-Germain a little next after the international break is, is going to be absolutely salivating watch. It certainly is. And, and as you say, that's something we've discussed in the last few weeks, given the upsets we kind of keep seeing. It doesn't feel like, no week feels like the last week we'll see one of the big four uh, drop points, um, particularly in kind of surprising situations as well, as, as again, we'll kind of come on to shortly. Um, yeah, you kind of alluded to it there, uh, the fact that, that Lyon perhaps are having kind of more problems um, in, in terms of creating chances or in an attacking sense. And, you know, it's, it's fair to say that they look significantly more cohesive going forward when Islam Slimani came on for the last half an hour and he obviously scored, but I thought added quite a lot to Lyon's play going forward. Should we have been seeing more of him, Mo, do you feel, in, in recent weeks? Um, you know, is Garcia's kind of inflexibility in terms of mixing things up in an attacking sense costing Leon, perhaps? Um, it's, it's a good point. Um, he hasn't, I don't think he started actually at all um, a league game since, since January. I think that's a little bit unfair to him because he is a proven goal scorer. Um, we saw as much last year um, at Monaco. Um, but then again, why change a winning system? And it was essentially winning up until, you know, up till very recently. Um, you know, the, the front three offer differing qualities. They offer 
um, play, pace um, in 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 Depay. They have a, a you know a, a veritable star um, in their team. It's just yeah, it's just going forward. I mean, we should be seeing different um, combinations. I think of the front three, and I think Slimani absolutely does have. Um, the talent and also the the record to to supplant the attack, and I think I think you can absolutely make the case that Garcia is perhaps being inflexible, perhaps being a little bit cautious, and I think um, that's something that I don't think could have impacted the game yesterday um, in particular. Um, I think um, you know Garcia has a record of making some tactical. Um, tweaks and more often than not it does actually blow up in his face as we saw yesterday with Decilio playing um instead of of, of Dubois. Um so I think in particular Slimani coming in um from from the start might not have changed things but there are plenty of fixtures especially for rotation. I mean Leon have not been uh, physically uh, spent unlike the other teams around them. Um, and I think in those earlier fixtures, particularly the ones um, where you know they 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 drew with uh, Oem, they drew with Rams, they drew uh, they lost at home to Montpellier. You could have seen more of Slimani, particularly from the off, particularly in different combinations, particularly against um, certain uh, tactical setups from the opposition, instead of um, staying with the front three, staying with the same plan, because it's exactly that. Uh, familiarity that the opposition is building that's going to hurt Leon and started to see teams um, really match uh, you know oh well um, in in games and I think you know because the situation is so tight you're going to need really the full reign of the whole squad um, and in particular Toke Kampi and Kadawere and I think even Depay will have to be sort of shifted and rotated you know Dubai to play on the left allowing Slimani to occupy that centre ground, playing with two strikers, etc. You're going to have to really use the, the full arsenal of your squad um, because things are so tight that one or two poor results not only will really damage your league aspirations, but you could end up in Europa League. That is the type of difference you're playing. It's, it's such a tight rope at the moment. Um, and they've got a really good player uh, on the bench, like we just said, a proven goal scorer in Liga. So I think absolutely you should use him. And I think in essence, we're going to be seeing a little bit more of that because Leon were pretty toothless um, yesterday for large periods against Paris Saint-Germain. They've got not just a cup, but they've got, I think, a couple of um, very decent games uh, coming up before they host Lille, which probably will be a title decider um, in four weeks, uh, or at least the team uh, the team that will take PSG on um, in May. And I think we'll be seeing Slimani like that, but obviously, you know, buyer beware. It's that same approach that Christoph Gaultier took um, for Lille again, something we'll talk about later, and that also blew up in his face. Um, but, you know, you've got to, I think you've got to um, really inject some new blood into the team where possible. Yeah, it does feel like it's uh, it's much needed at the moment with kind of that that the more patchy form that Leon have been been displaying that I mentioned. Um, just one final thing on 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 Leon uh, Christian, and I'll I'll come to you on this. Um, I saw some comments from uh, Jean Michel Olas um, made uh, this past in the past few days, I believe, um, and he kind of 
basically quoted um, business magnate Warren Buffett and said, it's only when the tide goes out that you learn who has been swimming naked. Uh, he then went on to say, I think there are going to be a lot of naked people in the post-COVID football world. We fully intend to take advantage of it. Um, do we take this as kind of whatever happens this season, Lyon are in a healthy position and, you know, we, ex we can expect to continue to see them um, competing right to the wire going forward? Because obviously, you know, that's something perhaps which we've taken for granted in, in the last few seasons, having, having a fully competitive Lyon, which it's fair to say they are now, despite those recent struggles. So, so yeah, what, what did you make of those comments? Well, first of all, happy birthday, uh, Monsieur Las, 72 years young today. Um, French football would be a lot more boring uh, without him, although Mo probably <laughs> would prefer him not to exist. Um, the, uh, in, in terms of Lyon and where they are going, it's no secret that the board is pretty split at the moment about the future of Rudy Garcia. The manager's contract expires in June, and ultimately I think they will probably go a different way. If Lyon aren't in the Champions League for another season, it hurts. I think the priority for them is to be in Europe in some considerable capacity. You've got to remember that that wasn't even the case this season because of the truncated league campaign. So I think Lyon are in an interesting spot. Memphis Depay is going to go. You would probably expect another player to go in the sort of 30, 40 million euro range. I actually don't think that's going to be Usama Awa. I think it's more likely to be someone like Jason Denier. But because I think the COVID uh, econ economy that we are experiencing in football is here to stay for the summer transfer window, I think they will get by quite nicely and keep the squad fairly intact. It's it's been a funny couple of years for Lyon, you know. It felt as if this was going to be the moment two years ago before he brought Janinho in and after the contract extension to Bruno Genesio was not offered, that this was going to be the moment where all the financial stability and power that the club and the institution had built up for 10 years was going to be unleashed. Arsene Wenger is very well known now, was offered the job. You know, Olas was texting Jose Mourinho, and in the end, he goes with this Brazilian double act. Janinho is still there. Silvino is emphatically not still there. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does now. I, I think you can expect him to take some risks. He fully intends to see Lyon in a Champions League final before he retires. I think he's probably got three or four years left in him. Janinho has become the sort of powerful man. But I don't know at the same time whether Olas will happily accept to be as uninvolved in the selection of the next manager as he was both with Silvino and then again with Rudy Garcia under the whole guise that he was sort of saying internally was because it's, you know, Janino needs to make his own mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. So I think Lyon will be there or thereabouts. A strong Lyon ensures that we have a, a strong Ligue 1. So fingers crossed. But I think a combination of probably not that many summer transfer window sales because there isn't just the demand but, and also, I don't know that their best players, supposed best players or highest value players have actually performed that well. And the players who have performed very well for them this season are new players. Lucas Paqueta, reconversion of Thiago Mendes. I think still the European market's a bit confused by Mendes. There's all sorts of jokes about his sort of night, night lifestyle in Lyon. And Maxence Cacré is too early. Usama Awa hasn't been consistent this season. 
Tino Kedawera is interesting, but still very raw. So I think we're on our way to seeing at least another 12 months of an impressive squad. The big question comes after that, in my view, because it's going to be the first real test of Juninho and Bruno Cheru when this squad fully ends its cycle. Can they make the canny replacements, sign players intelligently from the French league like Florian Maurice so did as the previous sporting director to ensure that OL remain at the top? Yeah, that is a big question indeed, with I guess the jury kind of still out uh, on Janino as sporting director in terms of the kind of hits and misses of the players that have been brought in so far. But for sure, uh, as we always say about Marseille, a competitive Lyon is vital to a competitive Ligue 1 and perhaps exciting that it isn't a case of now or now or never or now or yes, good times potentially coming in the next few seasons should uh, even live this season, things don't kind of go all the way um, and come up rosy for Lyon in the title race. Let's move on to the uh, third of the top three uh, in action this weekend, and that was Lille, who hosted Nîmes uh, early on Sunday. Um, an excellent opportunity to consolidate top spot, uh, given that Nîmes uh, were without a win in their last three matches and sitting 19th in the table in the thick of the fight for their Ligue 1 survival. Les Dogues, meanwhile, were unbeaten in their last 11 league matches. The home side started strongly, as expected, but were caught out on the counter on 12 minutes. Moussa Kone coming up with a brilliant finish after a driving run from Zinedine Ferhat to make it 1-0 to Nîmes. Just eight minutes later, Lille were level, with Xhaka equalising from a corner, and it seemed like it was business as usual at the Stade pierre Morois. However, after some fine interplay between Ferhat and Berger-Melling, Le Croco took the lead again, this time on the stroke of half-time through Mr. Nîmes himself, Renault Ripar. A frustrating second half for the home side ensued as Nîmes continued to hold on. Lille enjoyed an excellent chance late on as Renato Sanchez found himself in space on the counter, but his indecision between crossing and shooting resulted in a weak effort. This one ultimately ended 2-1 to Nîmes. Uh, Christian, this was Nîmes' first Ligue 1 win over Lille since 19, uh, 1977, apparently. Um, another week, another upset in the title race. From a Lille perspective, what went wrong in this one? Um, it's, a good, it's a good question, Jake. It was a bit of a freak game, right? Lille had around 75% possession, but they weren't able to create enough opportunities to get you know a considerable breakthrough i think is is the short answer what's very interesting about how the game played out is that despite this huge possession swing in lil's favor nicholas eliason and musakone the neem forwards actually only touched the ball eight times less than jonathan david and uh, borag yilmaz did who were playing as a two up top in christophe galtier's typical 4-4-2 shape so <laughs> Neem sort of reminding me on the Basket Blanc a little bit like the West Ham of the Premier League. Very, very effective, pragmatic with the opportunities that they're getting. And for Lille, it just, I'd always sort of felt in 2021 that when Burek Yilmaz departed, there wasn't enough attacking leadership. You have Jonathan David, who is a very interesting player. I don't really 
know how to feel about Jonathan David yet. He's not very efficient in front of goal at all. I do think that if you look at even some of the strikers they've had recently, a Victor Ozyman potentially, had he been in place of David this season, playing as many games as David has played, that Lille may well actually be further out in front or actually out in front of Paris Saint-Germain in the first place. And then you're starting to see, I think, a real wear and tear breakdown in that Gantier has had to rotate so enormously in the last four to five weeks with the double header against Ajax and then the Coupe de France matches, obviously, played by Saint-Germain midweek as well. And it felt almost like the sort of, uh, le match de trop is the sort of French thing. It's just one 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 game too many of, of just switching around, especially that midfield duo. So to, to my mind, it was a bit of a freak fixture, but the efficacy in front of goal or lack of from Lille, I think is really, really concerning. And, you know, th- there were certain players that also were just awful. It, t- Timothy Weir has had a poor game. Again, it hasn't really been helped by the fact that sometimes he's playing off a bigger centre forward. Sometimes he's playing on a wing. But I think the story of the last six weeks is that when the chips were down, players who I think are afforded a much bigger reputation in Europe and beyond France than they actually deserve, like Jonathan Okone, um, like potentially as well, Timothy Weah, etc. These are players who just have never performed consistently for Lille. And in a title race, you need a player or two going forward who is in a purple patch of form. And there just is nobody in that in that patch of form for Lil right now. The first half of the season, that was Jonathan Bamber. He was absolutely electric. So can Lidog pick themselves up off the back of this is the question. I don't think they deserve to lose this game. But Neem were very, very gutsy, very clinical. And, you know, ultimately they've made a really exciting relegation battle, which I don't even know that we'll touch on today. But it's really amazing how it seems like three or four teams down to the bottom there are now spurring each other on. And that second relegation place, apart from obviously Dijon's, really could go to anybody at the moment. Yeah, it really does seem that you can't write anyone off other than potentially Dijon um, in that one. Um, we, we will come on to that in, a, in just a second, but you kind of touched on it there, Christian. Um, Mode, is this the kind of match you can foresee having having a big psychological effect on Lille, this again, this is a, a question that we've asked b- before, but clearly it hasn't been a big issue for Paris Saint-Germain. And I wonder whether that is down to their experience and to their quality as well. Um, you know, given that after the upset against Lorient, after the match against Nantes, they've got back to winning ways um, for the latter, of course, that being the match against Lyon on Sunday. So where, where does a result like this leave Lille? Because obviously this isn't a side um, that is used to um, winning titles and hasn't got as much uh, experience. Do you foresee this having, having an impact? Yes. Um, and I think this is a team that doesn't really um, respond well to pressure. I think they very well enjoy being sort of a team that's off the radar that plays without any sort of pressure that plays sort of free football and I think we saw that earlier on in the season um, even when they had a period of I think successive draws uh, in the middle of the Europa League campaign I think the Europa League campaign in particular um, took a lot out of them 
um, they, there still wasn't the criticism they didn't expect to be in the top three. I mean, while it was a great aim, uh, you know, off the field issues such as sort of the ownership uh, stuff, I mean, that still didn't phase them. But having been top and now being the team that is hunted, um, and not just being hunted by one team, being hunted by three others, um, has you know had an effect clearly because not only have they only won three games uh, since the second week of February, um, and the same number that they won in the first week of February, um, they've also lost against really decent opposition. So we're talking about Ajax, we're talking Monaco, uh, PSG, and now. Um, just losing um, at home to Nîmes. I think, and I mentioned this last week, um, and I put this on my my Twitter account, they they actually face or have the most difficult running of any team in the league, let alone, um, mm. you know, um, in the top, top four. They now go on to face PSG back at the Parc des Princes and, you know, they played there in the cup. They landed no punches uh, whatsoever. They only face a team in the bottom five once from here on in till the end of the season. Uh, and that's an Etienne. That's an Etienne, depending on, you know, wherever the wind takes them, might not be in the bottom <laughs> bottom five um, come the penultimate game of the season. They have to travel very, very difficult place. They have to travel still to Angers. They have to travel to Lens, where, you know, all the big teams seem to be struggling at the moment. Of course, they also still have to travel to Lyon um, and pl- uh, face a very tricky Montpellier side at, at home. They have have to come out essentially. Have to come out, and there's a very very little margin for error. Error, and I think, as I alluded to during the PSG Lyon discussion, this I think was a milestone round where you're beginning to see what the end of the season look looks like. Um, and I think Lille, barring any major uptick in form, and they've been fading for a while. Like I said, only three wins in about seven weeks, um, they look favourites for me to be in the Europa League position fourth, um, as it stands, because, I mean, it's not just the way the form book looks. I mean, Jonathan David in particular has been perhaps the brighter of, of the players at the moment. Um, the defence looks to be a little shredded at the moment, uh, as we saw the two need goals. Uh, while being played on the counter, they looked very, very standoffish. They didn't want to commit into the challenges. They they allowed me in the space to to threaten, and I think that's indicative of what we've been seeing um, in Paris and um, what we saw um, in Amsterdam. Um, yes, you know they did they did beat Marseille, but that was a game that was concluded right in injury time. So I don't think you can take much away from from their performance. I don't think I was pretty impressed with them in that game. Um, so I think questions have to be asked for, for Christoph Gaultier, which I just want to, you know, caveat this by saying he is still a shoo-in for, for manager of the season. He has to be because that team on paper has come on leaps and bounds um, since the start of the season. I, they're just threatening to undo what they've done in the final quarter of the season. They've had a great, great year so far. Um, it, they just really need to step it up. And unfortunately, as we saw with the team selection, um, you know, this weekend, resting Sanchez, resting Isichi, um, uh, you know, Somara on the bench as well, um, in particular. Um, we, are, you know, I think they anticipated that this game shouldn't pose them too many problems ahead of 
bigger challenges after the international break. We're going to have to see a massive uptick in form um, because of, you know, like I said, very, very tough running. Um, and they're facing, you know, a Monaco side that is really breathing down their neck now, the best team in the league uh, in 2021. Um, and Leon, who for better or for worse, should get themselves into gear. Um, and you know these are teams that are you know relatively well stocked compared to, compared to Lille, um, who've also featured in Europa League this year. So it will be interesting to see. Um, don't count them out just yet because you know they've managed these results in the first part of the season, but it's it's looking really really tough. I do I do just want to add a couple of things because I'm totally with Mother. I think we expect a bit too much from Lille. Mm. It's a side that based on basically two years of Gerard Lopez and Luis Campos interviews in the French press saying everybody's worth 80 million euros. I think there's this sense that this is a great team and a really quality squad, but the truth is virtually 85% of this squad is in the process of attempting to confirm their potential hasn't even had 50 to 60 starts in Europe's top five leagues before, especially in midfield, I think Benjamin André has basically been the only, and incredibly good as he is, the only consistent midfielder. And the other weapon that they have so missed being consistent in the last six to seven weeks has been Renato Sanch. And I think he's, one, had his own fitness issues, but two, been in this sort of halfway house position of having played quite a few games out on the right, both last season and sometimes this season in this 4-4-2. And then all of a sudden he's brought in central. That hasn't really worked in the last four or five games. And then finally, if there's any team that is going to have fatigue because of the way they've set themselves up to play this season, it is Lil. How rare is it to see a side almost exclusively stick to a 4-4-2-4-2-4 shape? consistently in all competitions this season. It requires an enormous amount of energy to be spent counter-pressing and very, very easily it's a high-risk system to be caught out with if you don't get those sequences right. So I think maybe it'll surprise listeners that Mo says Lilla favorites now for the Europa League, but I think they're going to have to find something really special to arrest this slide. And I don't know that setting up against Paris Saint-Germain is go for a draw, which I expect that they will do because it's exactly what they did when they went away to Monaco. Mm. I don't know that that's going to be enough to give the players that positive boost that they're going to need in this final stretch of games to then go ahead and attempt to win the title. You have to, you have to assume not because of, particularly because of the run that they do have, which is, which is as as you both kind of alluded to, is going to be um, extremely, extremely tough. And and you know, all credit to. For, to, to, to well to everyone involved really for being where they are at this stage of the season um, because they really have been tremendous but perhaps running out of steam slightly for the reasons highlighted there I want to move on to to Neem um, now who who Christian um, very compliment in very complimentary fashion I guess these days alluded to them as being kind of the West Ham of uh, of league arm, which perhaps in in times gone <laughs> yeah. by would not have been such a compliment, but not an insult, not an insult no, to no, West Ham or Nîmes, absolutely not. Of course, because because they have been, um, um, they've looked significantly improved under Pascal Planck. Um, that is now um, four wins and two draws in nine games, 
14 points out of a possible 27, considering that in the first 21 matches of the season under Jérôme Arpignon, it, they got 15 points, so just one greater uh, there. Um, you know, his, his impact has been, has been significant. 14 goals for, 11 against, and they've conceded just five in their last seven. Um, I think they conceded quite a few in their first couple of games under uh, Planck, but have found some more solidity there. Um, Christian, what what have you made of the the job he's done, and and what what changes do you kind of feel he's implemented that have led to this this Neem side kind of coming really coming back into the race for survival when I think many had had written them off. Yeah, I mean, f- first of all, they absolutely had to make a change. I thought it was crazy already that they hadn't made a change in November. This was the one side in Vigan where I felt really had absolutely no identity in the early going and were heading very, very rapidly towards relegation. In fact, I think even in December, if you told me that actually the club that was going to be so rooted at the bottom was Dijon rather than Nîmes, I probably would have said, I don't really believe you. So it's certainly been a very rapid change. Also kind of a weird one in the sense that Pascal Planck has been there for quite some time. Initially, he was shouldering Arpignon as an assistant coach. So it's not like a Jorge Sampaoli situation where, you know, a new manager, a new culture has just come in and massively given this boost of energy to the squad. Specifically, what has Pascal Planck done? It's all about Lamine Fomba. This was a player signed from Ozer, I believe, in Ligue 2, uh, who frankly really struggled initially to get a foothold in Ligue 1 last season. Wasn't helped by the fact that he wasn't given an enormous amount of faith from the prior coaching staff, often hauled off quite early in matches, etc. But Fomba has really been confirming his potential in the last five to six matches and dominating midfield challenges to the point that uh, Planck feels confident enough that actually he can kind of have Fomba in this transition role, running the midfield by himself, that allows you to have Honoré Par, the captain, enigmatic goal scorer, club legend, play slightly off Kone in what is a, what is a slightly sort of skewed uh, 4-1-4-1 shape. And then Nicholas Eliasson is a player that I don't know anyone has spoken much about this season, came from Bristol City without much fanfare towards the end of the summer transfer window, Swedish international winger, did quite well early on, but now he's being given more consistent license on the right wing. And the position of winger, I think, in football is perhaps the one that is most driven by levels of confidence, right? Because it's a position that you know over the course of 90 minutes, you are going to lose the ball, you're going to make mistakes, and you're going to do things that for the average person is going to see their self-confidence drop over the course of a match. So when you're in a relegation battle, I think Plon's got this absolutely right, you've got to double down on, on two players and give them all the confidence and to say, you know what, try things, try to beat players, and if you fail to do so... Don't worry, get up again and and and, and try try again. And so Ferrat and, and Eliasson have remained pretty stable since in Planck's plan since he's taken over fully. And you compare this right to Dijon, where under Linares, the wingers are sometimes not even existing in the formation week to week. He's had a tremendous falling out with French youth international Mounier Chouillard as well. 
who basically doesn't turn up to training or matches on time at the moment. So there are a couple of things I think that Blanc's got really right. And then, of course, you know, to see Loic Landre completely out of the <laughs> reckoning in the starting 11 recently has been a relief to <laughs> anyone who has ever played in central defence. By far the weakest central defender that Ligue 1 has, has harboured for the last two to three years never really understood why he was remaining in the squad. And instead, Plonk's been bold and he's, he's given young players a chance. Uh, Guesuma as well is one to watch at centre-back. It is now um, looking extremely um, tight uh, at the bottom. Dijon, 13 points adrift now. You have to say look pretty much gone. Uh, Nantes, 28 points. Nîmes on 29 points in 18th in the, in the playoff position. Level on points with Lorient, but behind on goal difference. And Saint-Étienne, particularly after their 4-0 defeat to Monaco, now just four points above the relegation zone with Strasbourg. Mo, if I had to push you, I know there's still eight games left, but along with Dijon, who are the two you see, well, automatically relegated and, and finishing in that, in that final, uh, final uh, in that 18th spot? Um, <laughs> it's, it's a tough one. Because uh, I want, I mean, while I do feel so sure about the destination of the title, um, or relatively sure, um, I, it's, it's not as clear cut um, at the bottom. I think there's there's just so many variables at play. I think you know many many teams are starting to wake up. For example, the bottom three, or outside of Dijon, because they're they're gone. Is obviously Lorient, Nîmes, and Nantes have each only lost one of their last five. So, you know, compared to you have Rennes, who've lost three of the last five, Bordeaux have been very poor lately, Brest in particular. Um, it's it's tough. Um, Nantes, uh, they, they could have the experience to stay up, and, and Lorient in particular have have been looking quite interesting, but I think I think it'll be Lorient who'll go down. Interesting. Christian, do you share Mo's view there? I mean, I think everybody from Bordeaux down is in danger, genuinely, which means you have about seven teams who could still be relegated in Ligue 1, which I think is fantastically exciting with eight matches left to play. It's funny what Nantes are doing because actually Antoine Comboiré has taken the exact same shape that Raymond Domenech put together, right? This sort of 4-4-2 counter with uh, Colin Wani mm. up top and then um, uh, Moses Simon alongside him. So Nantes kind of funny because it's perception in football is everything, but the uh, I really wouldn't want to stake a claim to be honest, Jack. I'm going to be quite boring. FC Lorient, I think, have done really well this season. Their problem has been in recent games. Mofi has somewhat gone off the boil after scoring, I think, in eight consecutive matches. Mm-hmm. I, I believe it was eight. I mean, someone can correct me on that, but it was certainly impressive length of time. So, I don't know. I think Bordeaux are going to be dragged in. I think Saint-Étienne, to me, is a side that espouses just the least amount of confidence. And in Lorient, in Nîmes, in Nantes, at the moment, I can see a lot of things that are working, you know, in different sectors of the way in which they are playing, whether that's Lorient, I think defensively, have got so much better. And... Neem, we've just talked about Nantes. I think there is a real sort of counter-attacking mentality, and there is a sense from from hearing players in the Nantes squad speak that 
this is the most motivated they've been for quite some time. Saint-Étienne, I just don't think anything that Trellis tried has worked this season consistently at all. So there have been some good defensive reinforcements there for Saint-Étienne, but listen, I, I just think it's too tight to call at the moment. I really do. Strasbourg, you know, I, one, one week I think everything's working fine, but Thierry Loret really seems to be doubting himself at every turn this season. There's a lot of changes he was making. He got it completely wrong at the weekend with this ultra-defensive setup against Lens. So I really don't know. I think I think we may still see one surprise contender be drawn in, and I would probably edge for Saint-Étienne to go down at this rate. Yeah, I, I must admit I was being slightly unfair in asking that question because I too am kind of slightly on the fence with 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 this one, but where I see those um, those kind of positives we've alluded to in 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 Nantes and particularly in in Nîmes recently and the form that they've been in, I do not see that in Saint Etienne and and it seems you know for every kind of every kind of good run they seem to to go on it's followed very swiftly by things completely falling apart again so I can't I can't look past them slipping right into the thick of that and then the other team is is anyone's guess at this point. But as, as we say, kind of very, very exciting things going on at the bottom of the table as well as the top. Um, also exciting is, of course, the race for European qualification, uh, which is currently where we find Marseille. They um, have won their first two matches under new head coach Jorge Sampaoli and faced a Nice side who've somewhat, somewhat steadied the ship in recent weeks, it's fair to say, um, picking up two wins and a draw in their last three matches to move up to the comfort of mid-table uh, and kind of a drift of that bottom seven. Um, so, yes, yeah, so Nice hosted Marseille, um, a fixture which has been, it's fair to say, very favourable to, to the visitors in recent times. OM have won their last seven Ligue 1 meetings against Le Gym. Uh, in their weekend clash, Marseille started the brighter with the two sides and enjoyed a couple of decent chances, but it was Nice who went ahead on 34 minutes thanks to a Kefrem Turam header. A terrible defensive uh, outing from Marseille really went from bad to worse in the second half with Leonardo Bellardi giving the ball away to Amin Guiri who added a second for the home side. And it was then left to Alexis Claude Maurice uh, to add a third in injury time in what was a very accomplished win for Nice and a, a very disappointing performance from Marseille. 3-0 defeat in the end for them. Mo, this was Marseille's heaviest defeat of the season, remarkably, alongside, I think it was Manchester City in the Champions League. Um, and after two solid, if if what, late wins, as we discussed um, before, what did you make of um, of OM's performance here? Um, yeah, obviously, I think it was quite disappointing. Um, in particular, I think, you know, first of all, I do agree with Jorge Sampaoli in that it's not quite his team yet and he's really playing damage limitation. So you're going to get um, a couple of um, slightly wacky results Um even though, like I said, we do have a favourable run-in towards the end of the season. Um, in particular, I thought this is a game of chances, and I think in the end, Nice took theirs with, with a plum, and OM did not. Um, in particular, Yuto Nagatomo's first um, effort, I think, after around 15 minutes, just before he went off injured. 
after a fantastic ball from 12 and that should have been buried and I think had the Mavic been in that situation that that would have been 1-0 and I think a slightly different game um, this OM team is just a bit flat um, and has been flat for, for a long long time um, it's uncomfortable when being asked to dominate on the ball um, and so what you did have was them retreating and absorbing um, sort of the Nice pressure and Nice were in particular you know very um flamboyant they were they were they, they had a lot of youthful zeal I think we in particular had a fantastic game uh, the front the front three uh, well in fact I think the front six say for Morgan Schneiderlin um, were quite um, active picking out space we were getting into positions they were they were awesome um, and in the end the tide just turned turned one way I don't think oh I'm threatened much. I don't think Benitez had much to do in the second half. Um, yes, we did have an offside um, goal chalked off uh, for Benedetto, but I think with the way Sampaoli looked and saw the game and um, saw Pazu things, I think he recognises that there's not really a lot you can draw out from this OM side um, at the moment, um, especially with the um, Further injury for for Nagatomo and Sakai coming in the left back, um, it's just issues. And I think with Bellardi giving away the ball for the second, good players that are on form are going to are going to punish you, and that's exactly what happened. Um, same same for the third. So you know, it was uh, an emphatic victory. I don't think you can read too much or draw too many conclusions um, on the OM side for this because that's just how it's going to be till the end of the season. Uh, particularly with Kamara's influence missed, particularly with uh, Cuisance, you know, coming in in the last five minutes and guessing a goal that was missed, um, um, and you know, Amavi and Rongier are still not around and won't be around till till early April, and in particular for Amavi, a very key position at left back. Um, home have certainly missed him over the past two, two nearly three months, um, and that's just the way it's going to be till the end of the season. Um, and you've just got to go with it. Um, they face, you know, Dijon next, Europa League place, while they've dropped a place because of Lons winning um, very well at Strasbourg. They've dropped a place to sixth, but, you know, the end of the season promise is strong. I think this was one of the games I identified as being tricky alongside with Montpellier away, which will come um, in the second game after the international break. But then it really, really should be plain sailing. And I think with a couple of players back, um, yeah, that should be enough to secure fifth um, and Europa. Um, but don't discount Lons quite yet. I thought Nice were excellent. I thought uh, Mike Butcher's name, Dan, Dan Iliuk, um, the Austrian defender at the back, was excellent as well. I don't think Nice uh, missed Saliba at all. Um, and yeah, that was their first victory in five game five years um over us which was I thought a quite surprising statistic but very very much deserved Christian have you been more impressed with 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 Nice recently beyond the kind of points return because that's now three wins and a draw what 10 points out of a out of a possible 12 have has has um Adrian Ursaya done a lot to to kind of turn things around and does he deserve some credit for for the results and the performances that Nisa are, are giving are giving at the moment. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think rarely have I seen a side so paralysed 
by a manager so confused about what exactly it was that he wanted to achieve than Patrick Villaraz or Jusenis. And results flattered to deceive for a while because there was impressive defensive solidity and perhaps unsurprisingly under Patrick Vieira, especially in central areas, Nice were quite effective defensively even last season, although a lot of that had to do with the exceptional performances of Walter Benitez. What Osia has eventually done, and he lost a bit of time in the early going because his natural reaction was to switch to five at the back just to try and prevent the rot before moving in January to this 4-3-3 has been really impressive to see. You know, this is not a man who I think is going to be well known for his huge personality and maybe he's not even the best sort of man motivator, but actually very quietly as a disciple of Lucien Favre, who he was an assistant for when Favre was at OGC Nice, he has built a really nice 4-3-3 here with Alexis Claude Maurice, doing incredible work in between the lines as the furthest forward in the midfield three and all of a sudden starting to get players back who should be making a huge impact for Nice. They have been incredibly badly hit by injuries all season and I think that's something internally that they need to be looking at. Why has this affected them so badly, especially the number of COVID cases and sometimes even repeat COVID cases. But Casper Dolberg, this was probably the best performance from Dolberg since the day before the season ended last year when he got those two late goals against Monaco. He wasn't very good in front of goal, but actually the work rate that he put in, some of the pressing, forcing the mistake for the, uh, uh, for the second goal as well, was super, super impressive. The challenge now for Ojesenis is to figure out what makes most sense for them to do in these last eight games between now and the end of the season where presumably they are going to go ahead and appoint a new coach, although we wait to see that. I think with this result, they can now be sure that relegation is beyond them. There was a period of time when they were only four or five points away from that final relegation playoff position. But he's got a really, really nicely working 4-3-3 and impressively so, right? A couple of weekends ago, Isham Boudoui, who I think is probably their highest potential central midfielder, had an incredible game against Rennes, which started off this better run of form, then got injured. Youssef Atal has been injured most of the time. They lose Jeffrey Adelaide, who I actually don't think was performing that well all season, to injury, uh, suffering an ACL out for the rest of the season. Ronnie Lopez has a great performance against Paris Saint-Germain at the Parc des Princes about six weeks ago in a game that Nice actually could have won. And then he gets injured and then is out for, again, four to six weeks, despite grabbing a couple of goals, notably as well in the cup. So Nice have been very unlucky. I would like to underline the performance of Flavius Danilucci as well. It's incredible to me that this is this guy's first season in professional football. Mm-hmm. He's not even that rapid, but so, so intelligent. And I thought it was a really interesting pairing with Todibo kind of roaming, right? He is a very unique central defender, very confident on the ball, given license to roam and even try to break the initial line sometimes by carrying the ball forward. And Daniliuc was constantly covering space very well, helped as well by Jordan Lotomba, right back, who hasn't had that much game time for Nice this season, but quite an understated nice signing that for, for them from the Swiss League in summer. And did a, did a great job against one of the best strikers in the league, we have to say, in Arcadius Milik. So 
So yeah, I think the, the signs are very positive for Nice, but it almost feels like they've gone through this four or five months of pain and in eight games time, they may be changing regime again. And so I think they have to be very careful not to shatter the confidence of what is the youngest squad in the league, actually, in terms of average age, who have gone through cycles of cycles of disappointment. And something that characterized the, the Patrick Vieira reign that was so wrong was that these players were constantly changing position. I mean, how can you, at the age of 2021, 20, perform well in one of Europe's top five leagues if you're constantly being rotated from, from left back to centre back? A good example of happened to was Stanley Soki, right? High potential player from Paris Saint-Germain, spends most of his time between left back and centre back, seems so confused with his own identity that he has crippling self-confidence issues now. So the challenges for Nice are great, but to, to my mind, this was the best performance I'd seen from Ojasinis at the weekend in three years, generally. In, in desire, in defensive infrastructure, if you will, and real pace and move construction. Really important as well that Ojasinis end up kicking on from this because Ineos, in terms of financial capacity, so this is a team that should be entering the top five next season. And it's then a team that should be trying to compete from the Champions League after that. They just need to make sure they get the summer right. It's a critical summer for that project. It really is. And you do feel that they are at a crossroads now, particularly with, I think, you know, six weeks ago, it would have been fair to assume that the, the, the correct decision was perhaps, or at least to, to more casual observers, certainly that perhaps the decision, of the, the correct decision would be to find a, a more experienced first team coach than than Osea. But actually, you know, given the turnaround that they have had, you know, the signs are 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 very positive indeed for them. Um, having discussed these three matches, is there anything else that either of you would like to shine a light on from the past few days in in the world of French football? Um, Mo, I'll come to you first on this one. Um, yeah, I mean it's interesting. I, I Going back to our original uh, discussion, I mean, we've got, we've looked at the the top three, we've looked at the relegation uh, sort of issue. Um, I will throw my hat into the ring to probably pronounce Monaco as the likeliest challenges to PSG um, and the side that I think are um, likely to finish second. Um, because, I mean, they, they really put down the marker, I think, at the weekend with their really, really good 4-0 uh, victory. And I think um, they still have, you know, I've, I've been spending a lot of time this weekend just looking at the fixtures and just trying to, you know, like everyone else, play along with the predictors and see, you know, what, what goes what. And I think by the time they face uh, Leon about a month from now, um, they could conceivably be second. Um, they still have a four-point gap to the title, to the leaders, to Paris Saint-Germain. Um, but they've they've looked so so good recently. Like I said, the form team in 2021, um, they've really dispatched Sinatian with ease. They've they've looked good. They've won at Paris. They beat OM uh, very recently. I just don't see any signs of their form abating, considering the number of players that they've got off, on, on the bench that can change the games. You know, uh, Golovin, who did get a rare start this week. Um, Dieta, who's scored um, after, you know, his, his, his move in January. They've got um, wise old heads uh, like Fabregas still. Um, he can still uh, come in and do a job. Ben Yedder was arrested and, and Jovetic, 
looked lively in his in his absence, and Ruben Aguilar didn't even get off the bench. Um, so while they're obviously not as stocked as Paris Saint Germain in, in quality, they've looked uh, very very well, and I think as long as they avoid those tricky uh, away defeats, which I feel like will come up against Bordeaux when they when they face each other, just as the poor performance they put in against Strasbourg. They nonetheless have looked really good and I think were pretty annoyed to not win at Lille uh, last week to just close the gap. But, you know, looking at their form in January and in February, they haven't slowed down and I don't think they will anytime soon. They are in the same way that I saw with uh, Lille not facing um, anybody sort of low down in, in, in the in the league. Um, actually, Monaco have a really favourable running until the last two games of the season uh, where they play Ren at home and then Lons away to finish. Um, and by that point, you know, you know, Lyon will still have to play uh, Lille. Uh, Lille will still have to play uh, Montpellier and Nice. Um, Monaco are really relatively plain sailing and across um, the four teams so far, you know, over, uh, they have, they have, the, the most favourable running. So I, I think Nico Kovac, just in the same way that we've praised Christophe Gaultier, uh, has done a fantastic job considering where Monaco were with Robert Moreno, where they were early on in the season. They've done really, really well and the pressure is not on them and that's what's impacted Lille. Um, the pressure is not on Monaco. They can play freely and then see where it takes them. And I think come the Lyon game, that will be a, a true... Um, perhaps automatic Champions League qualification playoffs. So just don't discount Monaco is my sort of uh, discussion point of the week. Yeah, it's incredible to think where they uh, where they are and that they, they just have kept this momentum going given where they were under Leonardo Jardim in the last couple of, of seasons. And you've got to think that, yeah, before, prior to that Lyon game, there is a real chance to keep this momentum going um, going into this. So, yeah, all eyes on, on Monaco, I guess, at the moment. Christian, is there anything you'd like to bring to the table? Well, first of all, I think you guys need a segment, sort of Moe's modelling, because it sounds like Moe has got <laughs> this huge Excel spreadsheet. He's he's done all the permutations and calculations. I do. I actually do. So, <laughs> no, I, I meant that as a compliment. Really it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it is incredible. And it, it's true. I don't know that we've ever had it so tight at both ends of the table. So it's definitely the, the season to do it. So... I will certainly be listening with more more attention in future episodes to see uh, see if we get we, uh, we we get more updates on that. Um, in terms of other things that are interesting, I think we have to mention Armand Lorienté, the FC Lorient winger, who scores perhaps the most impressive free kick in European football this season. It's at least thirty meters out. It's got this incredible bend on it. It's this kind of mixture between seems to swirl in the air and then bending into the top right-hand corner and what was a critical equalizing goal for Lorient against Nantes um, at the weekend in the relegation battle. What a, what a strike. FC Lorient president Loïc Ferrier actually did an interview with us earlier this season. And in that interview, he says Lorient is possibly one of the best players that, or certainly the best three players that he has ever seen at the club since his ownership. And this is a man who has been there with the likes of Matteo Genduzzi, Mario Lemina, even Kevin Gamero, Laurent Cossiani. So really high praise. And Lorienté has just been incredible 
over the last four games and deserves this call-up to the France under-21s, which he got following the withdrawal of Bayer Leverkusen's Moussa Diaby owing to a positive COVID-19 test. So really exciting winger who, again, bitter rivals Ren decided wasn't up to it and sort of very much through the back door sold him to Lorient this summer, just gone. So he's a real one to watch, a real gem to watch. But it was the most Janino type of free kick I've seen for a long time. So yeah, no, that 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 got me out of out of my seat. And then the other thing I just want to say is, and I know you guys have covered him a bit, but Andy Delors is just on an incredible, incredible run of form. And I don't think you can pull out a striker in European football for a mid-table side who is so consistently decisive, uh, either pre-assist, assists, or goals. It's just been in absolutely scintillating form. It seems to me that he's become increasingly a physical presence, even more so than he was before. His run-making is more intelligent. And again, another club that's everything's a bit up in the air. Manager Michel Desacarien's contract expires in June. But actually, Montpellier, in terms of form, behind Monaco, I think, are the most formed team in 2021. Mo will be able to confirm or deny it. But um, yeah. they're making a late push now for, for the Europa League. And actually, if you look at their games... Yeah, I wouldn't rule them out either. So, yeah, a bit of love for Andy Delors and Armand Orienté. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, Wigan Athletic fans from 2014, 2015, uh, you know, I think it's night and day, the, the player that we have now <laughs> performing in to this standard in, in Ligue 1 compared to the championship back then. What, what a player, Andy Delors. And we certainly, all of us, um, all of us followers of French football, very much hoping he stays uh, in the division, I'm sure. Um, let's move to our final segment of the show, um, which is, of course, our, our spotlight section where we shine a light on one of the bright young players um, performing well currently in Ligue 1 Uber Eats, the League of Talent, of course, as it's dubbed. Uh, this week, we'll be talking a little bit about uh, Nice's Alexis Claude Maurice, who, as we mentioned, scored the, the third goal uh, in Nice's victory this weekend. The 22-year-old was born in Noisy-le-Grand, just outside of Paris, and came through the Lorient Academy, making his debut in 2017, uh, where he became one of the stars of Ligue 2 in the 2018-19 season uh, as Les Merlus narrowly lost out on promotion, scoring 14 goals in 35 games and getting four assists. Um, Christian, you spoke a little bit about about Nice, uh, about about Alexis Claude Maurice for, for Nice earlier on, but Tell us a bit about him as a player. Yeah, so it's funny. We were just talking about Loic Ferry speaking with Get French Football News. He's done it a few times over the years. And Claude Maurice is another one of the three players that he thinks is the best that he's seen. <laughs> so that's Lorienté and Claude Maurice. Uh, Claude Maurice broke through, so to speak, in the 18-19 season, was probably the best player in Ligue 2, playing a mixture of left-wing role as a kind of inside forward for them and then also in as a 10 has this really high level of footballing intelligence uh, the sort that you see from a kind of old school 10 but has the pace and is still working on the physicality to be able to play as an all-action midfielder another player who suffered quite greatly 
upon his arrival at Ujicenis from Patrick Vieira's willingness to chop and change at will. I think he's played as a centre forward, a right winger, a left winger, as a 10. I think he even played once in a midfield two and is now playing as the furthest forward in a 4-3-3. That level of instability is never good for a young player. But actually, in the last five, six, seven games, we're seeing, I think, some really exciting things from him working incredibly hard off the ball uh, in pressing, in recovery. I think his recovery pace has increased massively and also starting to build nice chemistry with players like Mizan Maulida, who's been playing either as a center forward or as a right winger recently for Ujicinis, another high, highly touted French football prospect coming through the Lyon Academy and has been able to also increase his ability, I think, in willing to make the runs to pull Ligue 1 defences a bit apart and to allow for more space for Amin Guiri and Kasper Dolberg. He's also perfecting a slight art of late runs into the penalty box. And it was doing that and, and being, you know, having the bit between his teeth that resulted in, in him grabbing a goal, of course, uh, against Marseille on Saturday afternoon. So for me, very unique style of player. He's somewhere between a 10 and a sort of an advanced playmaker. I think it's a very, very rare sort of talent. Possibly not quick enough, nor necessarily skillful enough to be an out-and-out winger. So I think Adrien Ossia has his position 100% dead on at the moment. He just needs to feel, I think, more faith around him, more belief around him, and another person who very much deserved his late France under-21s call-up for the Euro 2021 group stage, which is, of course, occurring during this international break. He replaced Lyon's Oussem who had to pull out with a muscle cramp, sort of not muscle cramp, but muscle alert injury. And... Do you feel that he's been, I guess the last thing on this, has he been a big beneficiary of this switch to a 4-3-3 under Adriano Osea? Because it strikes me as, as well as the kind of positional shuffling that you got under Patrick Vieira, that now that there is a bit more kind of stability in terms of formation or system, that perhaps this is able to, to get the best out of Club Maurice as well? Yeah, massively. And I don't think it was necessarily by design, which perhaps speaks a little poorly to the way in which Nice have generally managed this player. He's only getting this opportunity because René Adelaide has been out with the ACL injury since that game away to Monaco, right? Jeff René Adelaide had been playing in that position and I don't think he'd been doing all that well in it. So it's a mixture of good fortune and hopefully he sees, seizes his chance. But to look at Claude Maurice and go, oh, he's got two assists and one goal or whatever exactly his stats are this season and say what a limited player I think is completely wrong. And really what he's doing off the ball, both offensively and defensively right now is is of the, the highest echelon of, of what you would expect from an attacking player in European football today. There you go. Someone who will undoubtedly be a big part of this INEOS project as it progresses however it progresses going forward. That will be all from us today. And I should say as well, as we end, that we, of course, wish Le Bleu well. Um, they play Ukraine on Wednesday and Kazakhstan on Sunday to kickstart their World Cup qualification campaign. So we'll be back next week to talk about them. 
Many thanks, Mo and Christian, for your time. As always, make sure you're following us at GFFN on Twitter. And please check out our website, getfootballnewsfrance.com, for all the latest developments in the world of French football. I'm Jake Smales, and I've been joined by Mohamed Ali and Christian Nouri. Stay safe, enjoy the football, and have a great week.